So if you're there with me in Matthew 5, uh, we'll stay right there for the most part in the last six verses of that chapter. I'm glad you're here and that we get to worship together today. And I appreciate these who have already led in, in worship. We welcome each one of you. I've been reading, almost done with, a book called The Soul of America by John Meacham. Somebody recommended it to me a while back, and I just now got around to reading it. And it's a pretty fascinating look into the history of America. I don't know what, I don't know how, at this point, I don't know how I'd summarize the content of the book. If you haven't read it or heard of it, you, you might be interested in, in looking at it. But this, I couldn't help but think this, the last couple of days, uh, I've been in a chapter that it was focusing a lot on the civil rights movement. Uh, it, was, it was looking at some of the stuff that happened in the 1950s and 60s, it, it went back, and it kind of explores these themes going all the way back to the beginning of the country. Uh, but it, but it, it spent a lot of time in the 1960s, and it was focusing on you know Martin Luther King's movement, civil rights movement, also uh, President Johnson, and, and some of the things that happened. It's, it's fascinating to, to go back and look at history. And, of course, Birmingham is mentioned a few times in, in, the, in the book as well. Couldn't help but think, you know, it's, it's fascinating to, to think about it, but I couldn't help but think a couple of things, especially because I've got Matthew 5 in my mind this week, thinking about what I'm going to say to you, and then reading that book, um, I, I, I couldn't help but tie the two things together, you know, and, and, and one of them was, was this, is so much of what King did, as you know, was, was rooted in the Sermon on the Mount, this nonviolent ethic, you know, this nonviolent res- response and, and so I was, I was thinking a little bit, I wonder what it would have been like had, had King decided to go a different route. You know, if, if he had decided that he was not going to do it the way of Jesus, he was going to try to try to get civil rights through acts of violence. I, I wonder if, if he had decided, I'm not going to do what Matthew 5 says, I'm going to go about it a different route, how things would have turned out, you know, what, what it would have looked like. That, that's one thing. I don't know the answer to that. It's just interesting to think about. And then also, also this, and this would apply to that and to a lot of different things, but what, what would it have been like? What would the history of this country be like if, if we lived according to what Jesus taught us, especially in this paragraph, the loving your enemies part, loving people who are different from you, loving, loving people um, that maybe according to the way you've been brought up or to your culture or whatever you're not supposed to like, loving, loving those people. Wonder how these various currents, these various movements in our history as a country, what they would have looked like had more people obeyed this or had some people who did obey it gone about it differently. It's interesting to think about, you know. What Jesus says in, in Matthew 5 here is that we live according to a different standard. God's people live according to a different standard. I mean, we do. We, we do. We must. We, we must look at people differently than, than the world looks at them. And, and in our text, I mean, this is a classic text, one you've probably read many times. And my experience has been that God's people try their best to live according to the principles in this text, you know? We don't do it perfectly, but we try. That's been my experience. I don't know what your experience has been like. But what he says in this text is that we, if we're going to follow Jesus, we look at people differently, especially we look at people differently 
when those people have hurt us or they are people whom we're not supposed to like for whatever reason. Let's look at our text uh, for a bit. We've already read it, so you got it in front of you there, and you've had it, got it in your mind, you've got it in front of you in your lap there. I hope you'll, hope you'll look at some of the things that he says. And verse 43 really is, is just, this is the way it is in the world. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You ought to know that in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going through a series of statements where he says, this is what the law said, and this is how you ought to live. You know, you have heard that it was said, and he'll quote some verse from the Old Testament. But I say to you, you live according to a different standard. So he's done that about five times. We come to the sixth one of them, and he says, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here's something you need to know. The Old Testament never said that. Not like that. It didn't ever imply this. It did say, we studied this a month ago if you were here, it did say in Leviticus 19 that you are supposed to love your neighbor. That was a very, very persistent emphasis throughout the law. But it did not say, hate your enemy. I think what Jesus is doing here is that he is kind of quoting a proverb that explains the way many people think. This is the way the world operates. This is the way the world works. The world works according to this principle. You love people who are good to you. You love people whom you like. You love people who look like you, think like you, talk like you. But you hate those people, or at least you don't treat them with the same kind of respect and kindness. These other people, right? So you love your neighbors and you don't love your enemies. You love your neighbors, those who look like you, talk like you, think like you. You love your family. You love people you're supposed to love. And then you don't love. You hate those people who are different. So he's talking about the world. And that's the way the world works, isn't it? I mean, really. I appreciate the men who've led us already in referring to this in prayers and in communion time and, and all that. This is the world. This is the world. This is the, this is the way it works at school. Uh, this is the way it works at work. This is the way it works in the world at large. You, you got people out there. You got people that you agree with on different things. Maybe you agree with them religiously, theologically. You agree with people politically. You agree with people morally and ethically. Uh, people who have, you agree with people or your backgrounds are sim similar culturally. So you got all these different criteria. And if people meet at least three or four of those or most of them, then you're going to love them. You're going to treat them well. You know, you... You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be kind to them. You're going to go out of your way to show them affection and so on. So you're going to love your neighbor, but those other people you don't love. Do you agree with this or not? Do, do you agree with this? I mean, do you get on social media? Do, do, you, get, do you see what happens out there in the, in, the, in the world? And I don't know if it's gotten any worse with the advent and popularity of social media in the last 10 or 15, 20 years, but um, it's, it's sometimes, I see, I see uh, weekly, you know, somebody's getting off of social media, and, and they always, and, and I don't have a problem with that, by the way, getting off of it. We probably all, if you're on it, you've probably considered getting off of it, and if you're not on it, you probably are thankful you've never gotten on it, but I, I, see, I see periodically, you know, uh, a couple, couple of friends of mine this week, they, they, they'll put something on social media, and they'll say, all right, I'm done with it. I'm getting off. I'm removing my account. And almost always they'll say, is this too much negativity out there? You know, it's just, just too much of this stuff going on. And, 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 and it's true. It's true. Our world doesn't know how, it seems, doesn't know how to live according to what Jesus is teaching us here. 
this idea of loving people with whom you disagree fundamentally on very important, crucial things. Jesus says, you love those people. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The world doesn't work like that. This is what Jesus says. So, you have heard, this is the way the world works, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if agreed only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? I mean, this isn't hard to understand what he's saying here, is it? I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this was a theme of Jesus' ministry. This is not something it's just he kind of throws into the Sermon on the Mount. This is something that's all over the place. He has just said, if you go up in your text in verses 38 through 42, the immediately preceding verses, did you notice what he says there? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The old law did say that to limit the violence and acts of retribution in the old, in that, in the old covenant system. But he says this, Jesus says, do not resist the one who's evil. Do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them to the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I mean, those, those four or five verses just prior to this, aren't those life-changing? I mean, I think you could spend the rest of your life on those few verses and you'd never get to a point of perfection in them, right? You'd never get there because this is hard because it is counterintuitive. It goes against the way the world works. Turn the other cheek. Have you ever done that? Go the second mile. Do we do that consistently? Give something extra to the one who begs from you? What he's saying is the way of Christ, the way of the Christian, the Jesus follower, is lived according to a completely different standard than, than the world. The world works the way the world works, but you and I don't follow that path. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Again and again and again. It's not easy, right? It's not easy. You go to Matthew 7, and you'll find Jesus continues this idea. We studied this a few months ago, Matthew 7, 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. What Jesus is teaching us is his ethic is different. It doesn't make sense to the mind of the world. Now, what does this look like? What does it look like <clears throat> with, um, with your life, with, with my life? As Christians, we've, we've got to make up our minds that we're going to live different kinds of lives. And I appreciate the prayer that Bill prayed a minute ago. Because there are people in this room, as there are in every room of worship in the world today. There are people in this room who have been hurt genuinely hurt could have been physical abuse maybe it's been emotional and mental abuse 
Perhaps you've been forsaken by friends. People who were close to you, you, in, you, you find out later that they were saying things about you behind your back that just made you weep. You've been hurt. What do you do with those hurts? I, I don't pretend to give some sort of you know, three-minute response to that that's going to make it all go away, you know? And I certainly don't want to trivialize real and legitimate pains and wounds that sometimes go very deep. So please don't mishear what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to trivialize that. I don't, want to, I don't want to superficially deal with something that's a very deep thing. So only, I only want to say this, that, that Jesus is saying we don't handle those things like everybody else. We don't handle them like everybody else. If you get anything from the teachings of Jesus, it's got to be that. Right, It's got to be that, that whatever he's calling us to, I, I, sometimes when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I think, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's why the last verse of the chapter bothers me. Be you perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect? Well, okay. What are we going to do? Sometimes I read the Sermon on the Mount, and I think, man, I can't ever do that. And probably, that maybe, maybe that was part of Jesus' response. You cannot live up to this perfectly. You cannot live up to the standard. There's one who did. There's one who did, and there's one in whom you put your faith and trust, and that's where you're going to be saved ultimately. But we don't just say that and think, okay, well, I can't do it, so I'm not even going to try. He doesn't leave us that option either. And so we come to, we come to these, these hurts and these wounds and these, these people that we might call or in some respect, our enemies, people who have wounded us, what do we do? Again, not to trivialize, but we handle those wounds, we handle those, those, those hurts differently because what the world does is the world says, you hurt me? A generous response on the part of the world would be, you hurt me once, I'll forgive you. You better never do it again. And then, it's payback. I'll get you back. If you have wounded me, if you've hurt me, then what you deserve, I'm going to help you get. That's the worldly response, this tit-for-tat kind of thing. You get what you deserve, and I'm going to be God's instrument to bring that about. And so you talk about me behind my back. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. See, the world, the world doesn't really like this. The world likes some things about Jesus, but it doesn't like other things. And this is one of the things that a world just can't tolerate because it doesn't make sense and it, does, it certainly does not come naturally. What do we do when people hurt us, when people wound us? What about people with whom we fundamentally disagree Maybe on matters of faith. And maybe the answer to this would be different for people, different people in our audience this morning. But I think a, a good exercise for me and you to engage in would be to ask ourselves some questions. Who in this world, who in this world is hard for me to love? Would you think about that for just a second? Who is hard for you to love? Is it the terrorist? Is it the child abuser? Is it the abortion doctor? 
Is it the man who abuses his wife? Is it the pedophile? Who is hard for us to love? And again, I know these are complex things and what that's going to look like in the day-to-day is going to vary according to what we're talking about, right? Because we know from the life of Jesus, love doesn't necessarily mean you just go, you know, put your arm around somebody and say, let's be best buddies, right? Because we're going to look at this next week, Lord willing, when we go back to that other side of Jesus' idea. Uh, Jesus, Jesus said some harsh things. So loving people doesn't mean we agree with them, and it doesn't mean we, we, uh, we walk hand in hand with them in what they're doing, certainly. Because Jesus said, you know, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Love sometimes is going to look like, hey, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to talk to you in love and compassion about what you've done and what you're doing. That's what love looks like sometimes, you know. But whatever it looks like, it looks different from what the world does. So back to our question of introspection. Who's, hard, who's it hard for you to love? Who is it? Is it a person you disagree with on religious matters, on, on ultimate things, the nature of God, if there is a God, if there is a God who he's, what he's like or she's like or it's like or whatever your version of God is, right? What, what, what does that look like? What, what do you believe about ultimate things? Is there a God? What is that God like? What does that God want from us? How many gods are there about these kind of ultimate things? And so we've got different views on that in the world, of course, it's hard for you to love people with whom you have fundamental differences of opinion or conviction about things. And you know very well that you're right and the other person is fundamentally wrong. What about people with whom you disagree politically? On things that are important. I'm not talking about peripheral things. On things that matter, on ultimate kind of things, life-changing kind of things. How do we view those people? How, how do we love them? These are questions Christians have to ask. As I go back to the scholar I quoted earlier, the beginning of our worship time. How we treat our enemies is a fundamental, I think he said, is the fundamental distinction between us and non-believers. How we treat enemies. How we treat people who've hurt us, who have stabbed us in the back, people whom we're not supposed to like, people who are different from us, who don't like us, who've wounded us. You may have seen a version of this. Have you? Love thy neighbor. I don't know where this originated. Love thy neighbor, thy homeless neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy white neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy transgendered neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, thy racist neighbor, thy addicted neighbor. Love thy neighbor. And some of those, some of those, right, would, would be, what, do you have a hard, do, do we have a hard time loving some of these, some of these folks? seems to me Jesus is calling us to a different ethic. Not seems to me. I, I know Jesus is calling us to a different ethic. And I want to challenge us as a church, corporately, and, and also you as an individual follower of Jesus, to think about what it looks like in your day-to-day. Because I don't know. I don't know. 
I just know that you get to the end of this chapter. You get to the end of this chapter. And Jesus says in verse 48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I've wrestled with that for a long time. That word perfect translates to the Greek word teleos, from which we get our word telescope. And it talks about uh, that the, the root idea is like where something is going. So you, you look at a telescope, you know, in the distance to the end is this telos, is this, this end idea. And so it can mean maturity. So sometimes I've been tempted to soften verse 48 down a little bit. And, and it says, therefore be mature as your father in heaven is mature. Maybe that's a little bit more palatable, but I don't think that's what Jesus meant. I think he meant the way it's translated. Be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Hard to love people. Hard to turn the other cheek. Hard to go the second mile. Hard to give your inner garment when you've already given your outer garment. Hard to, absolutely it's hard. Maybe we would even say it's impossible to live that ethic consistently. But Jesus doesn't leave us the option of saying, well, I just can't do it, therefore I'm not even going to try. Jesus' followers are going to love the unlovable. We're going to love people who are different from us and with whom we disagree on very fundamental issues. And, 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 And that distinguishes the way we live from the way others live. Don't you think... You imagine what it would be like. And, and again, I said at the beginning of this, and I'll say it again here. My experience has been in the church that most of God's people are trying their best to live this way, you know. I, I think some of the caricatures and some of the depictions of Christianity that you see on late night talk show or you see on sitcoms or whatever, I don't think they're accurate, not in my experience. I think God's people are trying to live this way. But we've all, we've all got struggles, right? Jesus is saying things that are very, very difficult to swallow He is saying things that are difficult to practice. How in the world can we be expected to do what he says here? Let's close by just saying this. The answer to this question, like so many other questions, is found in Jesus. It's found in the life of Jesus. It's found in the way that Jesus treated people. It's found in following Jesus throughout the hills of Galilee as he walked from here to there and he treated the untouchables as if they were human beings. He treated those people who because of racial things or because of religious issues he was supposed to hate them. He was supposed to ostracize them. He was supposed to keep himself apart from them and yet time and time again Jesus approached the untouchables and he touched them. He went to those people who were different and may have even hated him, and he loved them. And we see that most beautifully, as has already been mentioned a couple of times before I even got up here this morning. We see that most beautifully. When Jesus, can you even imagine, when while hanging on that cross, through the agony of the pain and the torture and the dehydration and the struggle to breathe, Jesus looked down into the hate-filled eyes of the world that despised him and that put him on the cross. And what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I love not only that from Matthew 26, 
But I love the way that story continues in Acts 7 with a guy named Stephen. You remember the story of Stephen? Stephen was a, one of the early followers of Jesus after the death, burial, and resurrection. He was one of those seven chosen in the first few verses of Acts 6. In Acts 7, we have Stephen's preaching, and he's preaching to a hostile crowd. They don't like what he says. They don't like him. They don't like anything about him. And he makes them so angry that they decide at the end of his sermon, I don't know if it's the end of his sermon, but it becomes the end of it because they interrupt him. And they are so filled with rage that they tear their clothes. They take him out to a hill and they begin picking up those stones, throw him down into the pit, and begin throwing those boulders on top of this young preacher. What's Stephen going to do? Stephen remembered something. I don't know that Stephen would have been at the cross. There's no indication that he was. Maybe he was. Or maybe he had just heard stories. I don't know, but I know this. Stephen learned something about following Jesus that made him recognize you handle people like these hate-filled people, you handle them differently than the world says to handle them. And so you remember just before Stephen drew his last breath, he said, and you remember, he looked up into the heavens and there Jesus, the Bible usually talks about Jesus, he's seated at the right hand of God, right? He looks up there and he sees Jesus not sitting, but standing. And he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Stephen learned at the feet of Jesus, either in person or through stories he had been told, he learned that when God says, love your neighbor, he's not just talking about the people who treat you right. He's talking even about, especially about, the people who don't treat you right. And that is a distinguishing characteristic of the follower of Jesus who sets, that sets him or her apart from the world. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, he invites you to come to him in faith, trusting in him with all of your heart. I guess maybe we ought to offer a warning. The warning is he'll change your life. It won't always be comfortable. He's going he's to ask you to do some things that are difficult. He's going to ask you to love some people that... that you, you don't want to love. He's going to ask you to treat some people well who haven't treated you well at all. He's going, to, he's going to ask you to do some things that are uncomfortable for you, but he's going to ask you to do only those things that are consistent with his nature and what is best for us to live. If you want to become a Jesus follower today, a child of God, a Christian, we invite you to put him on as your Lord and Savior in baptism as his blood washes all of your sins away. What a beautiful thing it is for a person to walk on that path with Jesus who forgave those who hurt him. We invite you to come to him with faith today. Maybe you need to come back to him today because your life has not reflected what we've talked about today. And I suppose all of us could confess inconsistency with the message of Jesus today. But maybe it's something that you've done in a way that you want to ask the prayers of the church in a public way. We're here for you. We'll help you. Let's stand and let's sing this song.